Our scripture this morning is found in Hosea. We're going to be uh, concluding our examination of Hosea. Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Listen to me, beloved. Today's the first Sunday of Advent. You all know that, and you're going, well, wait. Hosea chapter 14 doesn't seem like a traditional Advent text. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. In all of the prophets, in all of the prophets, they weren't just maladjusted men that came to deliver this message of doom and gloom and judgment. See, that, that, that's our problem, that that's all that we hear when we listen to the, uh, to, the, to the prophets. Because in every single one of the prophets, God offers to us hope. God offers to us anticipation. God says, I am sending someone that will deal with this problem. Why? Because you are on my mind. You are on my heart. And I'm going to do something about your sin problem that you can't do for yourself. And that, beloved, is the message of Advent. Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. And in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. For in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout, and his beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. And, and God, we just pray that, that you would open our hearts and minds and that you would cause us to understand and apply what it is that you are saying through Hosea. God, we love you so much, and we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer in and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Those of us in a low church tradition don't pay a whole lot of attention to seasons, liturgical seasons, and, and readings, and lectionaries, and all of that stuff. It, it, it just doesn't seem right to us. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, even though we stand squarely within the Reformed tradition, okay, and, 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 and a lot of our brothers and sisters that are in a, in a more high church 
uh, situation. They do believe in these kind of things. They do believe in, in lectionaries and prescribed texts and all of that. And, and I just don't, okay? I, I, I just don't. Other than the discipline of preaching through a, a book of the Bible at, the, at, at a time, the, the only time that I break from my preaching calendar is during, uh, generally during Easter, okay, and then also during uh, Advent because it forces me to discipline myself to, to look at the Word of God in ways that have been looked at the Word of God throughout all of uh, Christian history. And so Advent is, is one of those times where we turn aside and, 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 and we force ourselves to look at the totality of the message that God is, is giving to us. How many of y'all are satisfied with, with, you know, I mean, listen to me. On, on Resurrection Day, the sunrise service, and then the, the, the sermon that, that I am privileged to preach, that ain't enough, Okay. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's not enough exposure to the Word of God on that topic for me on one day. And so I want to hear more. I don't want to just rush in and kind of dip in and grab this little text. And that's all that we hear about preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. Now, in Latin, Advent simply means coming. We talk about the advent of electricity or the advent of indoor plumbing or the advent of technology. It simply means coming. It's just kind of a generic word in, in Latin that, that applies to this season that we, that we are entering into. Throughout the book of Hosea, God has been showing how his people have turned their back on him and turned toward other gods. Here's the deal. They are living as though they were not God's people. I got quiet there for a reason, beloved. I have a book that was pretty influential in, in my early ministry. It was written by Dr. Stanley. And the name of the book is Confronting Casual Christianity. And the main thesis of the book was that most Christians live as practical atheists. They live as practical atheists. That they don't live the kind of life. Listen. I'm not saying, you know, that we're all down at the honky-tonk on Saturday night. I'm not saying that we're all committing adultery. I'm not saying that we're all, you know, cheating uh, our neighbor and, and, or, or cheating on our taxes or anything like that. Can I tell you a secret, beloved? <laughs> Satan doesn't really care whether you do those things or not. He doesn't care whether you do those things or not. Man, he doesn't need you to commit the big sins. I said with the appropriate amount of gravitas. All Satan needs for you to do, forget to pray. Oh, there's going to be an excellent sermon on that this evening. All right. Psalm 5, okay, because uh, David talks about that he's going to go to God in his morning prayer. Okay. Let me give you a preview. What, what, what do you think Miss Angie would think 
if I got out of the bed of the morning, went into the bathroom, got my stuff ready, you know, got ready for work, walked out of the door, got in my car, went on to work, didn't say a word to her. Didn't say a word to her. And then when I got home, all tired and, and wore out, that I went, sup, sweetie, I'm going to bed. What would you think? What would she think? Okay. Well, do you not get the, 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 the point here? Are we not doing the same thing to God? Are we not doing the same thing to God when we don't go to Him in the morning? When we don't commit the day to Him? When we don't commit every meeting that we're going to be in? When we don't commit every email that we write? Uh, let's not talk about email. Adam's French teacher said that I was the best in the world at, at cussing someone out without ever using a dirty word. Okay. The point that I'm making, beloved, is that the Israelites, the average Israelite, so we want to think that they were so much different than we are, and, and they weren't. They were just they were doing the same things. Most of them, you know, the word that we use in the Bible is a Hebrew phrase, am ha'aretz, and it simply means the common folk. You and I would put it blue-collar workers. Now, some of us are kind of, you know, whatever the cross between blue and white collar is, because some of us kind of work in jobs where we're no longer, you can tell when you shake my hands that I don't clearly work with my hands anymore, okay? Other than to type, I've got calluses on my fingertips, but not enough to play the guitar, okay? But the point that I'm trying to make is that these people were just like us. They were common folk, trying to make ends meet, trying to find a way to get through. They loved their kids the way that we love our kids. They loved their, their, their families the way that we love our families. And yet, they had gotten lost in that day-to-day -day struggle. They had come to the point where they thought that God wasn't interested in their daily struggle. And so they just stopped talking to Him. But because... Listen to me, because it was part of their rich culture that they come to church on, on a certain day and they do certain things because that's what Mama and Daddy did and that's what Daddy Abraham did, then that's what they did. They came and they went through the motions and they did that, but none of it was real to them. None of it was real. And so they had become low ami. Not mine. Not mine. And you know, let me tell you something. If God had stopped right there, if God had just said, you know, you're going to have this kid, name him not mine, be done with it. Just be done with it. That'd be pretty depressing. But what the whole book of Hosea shows us is that God has a love that will not let go. God did not have to send Hosea to warn them. Okay? How many of y'all have any question what the speed limit on an unmarked secondary road is? We know that, or at least we're supposed to, because it's on the driver's test. Okay? And yet, if we were ripping down the road and the law stopped us, we would say, well, officer, I never did see a sign. Okay? I never did see a sign at what the speed limit was. 
How many of y'all like if you've got something that puts all of that on the dash of your car that it tells you what the speed limit is, especially when you're in a in, in a place where you're not familiar with what the speed limit is? Because a lot of times we'll be somewhere and I'll have to ask Angie, what's the speed limit down through here? And she generally knows that I'm asking that because I've seen the law somewhere. Okay, and I want to know, am I in trouble or, you know, can I just keep going? See, God didn't have to send these prophets. And again, we think the prophets were just these guys that came and announced gloom and doom and judgment. And certainly that was part of it. But they also, to a single man, every single one of the prophets said, days are coming. Days are coming. God loves you so much that He will not let you go. He wants you to come back. God never abandons His people. And see, beloved, God answers and looks after those who yearn for Him. Verses 1 through 14. 1 through 14. Verses 1 through 4. There's a 1 and a 4 in there and just put them together and you get 14. Alright. You want me to tell you something really amazing? This is the Romans road of the Old Testament. This is the Romans road of the Old Testament. There's even a sinner's prayer right in the middle of it. Alright. Sinner's prayer right in the middle of it. Hosea is showing us how it is that we go about repenting. The Israelites desperately needed to repent. Listen to me, beloved. You know what our problem is, man? We've got one of those hymns that we sing, and I love it. I love to sing it. Then I repented, past tense, of my sin and won, past tense, the victory. And that's true. It is absolutely true. I repented of my sin, past tense, and won, past tense, the victory. But listen to me, beloved, it's also present tense. I must continually be in an attitude of repentance with God. I must keep short accounts with God. Okay? And that's what God is saying to His people, is that there has to be repentance in your life. You have to acknowledge your sinfulness. You have stumbled because of your iniquity. My family knows that that I'm fairly graceful. I can trip over my shadow. Okay? I, I, I can. And I can just be walking down the street and stumble, and they'll look at me, what'd you stumble over? And I'm, I don't know. You know? It takes a lot of grace to be as clumsy as I am. Because I don't generally fall, or at least I haven't gotten to the point where I fall, I'm able to catch myself. And sometimes you're going, I would have hurt myself less if I had just gone ahead and fallen than, than what I did in trying to catch myself. The point that I'm trying to make is that that's no one's fault but my own. And what God is saying is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have stumbled because of your iniquity. Do you understand what God is saying? He's saying this is a choice. You chose to do this. You have stumbled. You must take blame for the sin that is manifest 
in your life. Because listen to me, beloved, before the problem of sin can be dealt with, it has to be acknowledged that it exists. Okay? Let me tell you a secret about talking to children about coming to faith in Jesus. Y'all know I, I, I like the Romans Road. It's not the only one that I use. I may use different things, but generally with children because it's easier for them to understand. I'll tell them, you know, the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Can you tell me what sin is? And I'll ask them to give to me a definition of what sin is. And then I will say to them, are you a sinner? Have you ever sinned? Okay? Because at that point, it tells me whether we need to keep going or whether there just needs to be a little bit more development in that child's life before they're ready because they don't recognize that they have stumbled because of their iniquity. Now, a lot of them are afraid that if they admit they're a sinner to the preacher, I don't know, I guess they think I'll get the pulpit Bible out and beat them over the head with it, you know. That they'll, they'll look at me and say, no, I've never sinned, you know. Or that I'm like Santa Claus, I'm going to report back to their mom and dad, you know. Well, here's a, this going to curry your toenails, what they told me, okay? Uh, anyway, the point that I'm trying to make, you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Beloved, we have to admit that there's a problem. We have to admit that we need Advent before we can celebrate Advent. Does that make sense? We have to admit that we have a need for the one that is coming. Because if we have no need, I mean, let me tell you something. If somebody told us that, King Charles III was going to be in our service next Sunday morning? Guess what we'd do special? Not one thing, okay? Because I don't need anything that King Charles III happens to have, all right? Uh, and, and so I have no need for his presence here. But I do have need of Jesus. And that's what Advent is all about. Verse 2, they had to ask for forgiveness of sin. And then God tells them specifically... Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, aren't you glad that Hosea said that? I mean, what if Hosea just said, take words with you and return to the Lord? You know what our prayer would be? God, I'm glad I'm not as wicked as old whoever it is that we're having a fuss with right now. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. That is a sinner's prayer, beloved. You want a biblical sinner's prayer? There it is. That you want somebody to pray? Listen, well, I had the honor of recently being with someone when they came to know Jesus, and they just prayed their heart out to Jesus. Best sinner's prayer I've ever heard in my life, and they didn't get it from me. Okay? They just poured out what was going on in their heart. And, and, and it was just, it was amazing. I, I wish I'd recorded it, okay? But Hosea says, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. In other words, God, I have sinned. I am asking you to take it away. I am asking you to receive me graciously. And once you have received me graciously, then I want to present my worship. I want to present the fruit of my lips Unto you. Why do I want to do this? Verse 3. Because nobody is going to be able to save me but you. Assyria will not save me. 
And they had to confess. They had to confess. Verse 3. For in you the orphan finds mercy. In you the orphan finds mercy. See, beloved, we have to understand that God will demonstrate mercy and, 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 and love to us when we turn back to Him. And so Hosea tells us what genuine repentance looks like. Now listen to me, beloved. In returning to God, Israel must come on God's terms, not their own. Not their own. Not their own. When we have sinned against somebody, and God convicts us of that sin, how do we approach them? On our terms? Or on theirs. I'll tell you a secret, they're in charge of that relationship for a moment. Okay? Because we're the one that sinned against them. And so we go to them on their terms. We have to go to God on God's terms. God says, when you return to me, take words with you. I want you to return to me, not with a silent feeling in your heart, but with proper words of repentance and trust in me. I mean, we've all refereed intense fellowship between youngins, hadn't we? And we've separated them and said, now, listen to me. Don't you feel bad that you jack slapped this one over here? And they'll go, uh-huh. And don't you feel bad that you did this? Uh-huh. Well, all they've done is given you what you wanted. They haven't said that they were sorry. God says that you've got to come back to me with genuine sorrow in your heart and bring proper words of repentance and trust in me. This is the same idea that Paul gives us in Romans 10, verses 8 through 10. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which you are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. (coughs) God commands us to communicate with him in words not just in ideas or feelings. Verses 4 through 7. Here's the blessing, beloved. This this will bless your heart. God knows, let me put it in past tense so maybe we'll catch it because we won't think it's so much on our toes. God knew that Israel was intent on backsliding. And God says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. Do you hear what God says? God doesn't say, let me ask you a question. You know, if I'm sick, and I know that there's a doctor that is world-renowned that can bring healing, or at least restoration of health, to me, and I choose not to go to that doctor. What good is that doctor to me? Not one bit of good in the world. Not one bit of good in the world. Can he heal me? Yes, he can. 
Would he heal me? If I had enough money, I guess he would. Or if my insurance was good enough. God says, I will heal their apostasy. God speaks and says, I will heal their apostasy. He did it not because Israel would deserve it, but because it is God's nature to love them freely. You get that? I mean, that song we just sang, why do you think that song gets me so much? Because I understand that, that, that it should have been me on his mind, but for a completely different reason. Okay? It should have been me on his mind that, that listen, Jesus was kind of busy up on the cross. Amen? And he was in a lot of pain up on the cross. And it was my sin that put him there. And that's why I should have been on his mind. He should have been going, Dad, burn that Larry Jones for for everything he did that put me up here on this cross. But he stretched out his arms and he said, I love Larry Jones so much that I'm going to lay down my life so that he can enjoy my presence forever. While we were yet sinners, beloved, Christ demonstrated His love for us on the cross at Calvary. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you a secret, beloved? God is too great a physician to let any patient leave His examination room unhealed. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're there with that apostasy, that's just a fancy word for backsliding. Aren't you glad us Baptists don't do that? That's a whole other sermon. We'll we'll save that for another time. But if you're here this morning and, and that's where you're at, you recognize that there was a time when Jesus was more important to you than he than he is this morning. God wants you to understand, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. But listen to me, beloved. To get the healing, you have to count yourself among the backsliders. And this passage shows us what is restored when we return to God. Growth is restored. It says, He shall grow. Beauty is restored. He shall grow like the lily. Strength is restored. He will lengthen his roots like Lebanon. Value is restored. His beauty shall be like an olive. Delight is restored. His fragrance like Lebanon. Abundance is restored. He will uh, be received like grain and grow like the vine. When God restores Israel, his people will be a blessing to others. Not blessed only unto himself. And beloved, isn't that the purpose of Advent? That having been blessed by God, that we would then turn into a blessing to a hurting, dying world and become a blessing to them. Verses 8 and 9. When God's people are healed from their backsliding, God says, it is I who answer and look after you. In other words, when we recognize that He is the one that brings every blessing into our life, when we recognize that He is like a luxuriant cypress tree, 
when we recognize that from Him comes our fruit, then God says if you're wise, understand these things. If you're discerning, then know these things. Because the ways of God are right and the righteous will walk in them. Do you understand, beloved? A choice has to be made. People are either going to be wise or they're not going to be wise. People either have to be uh, of repentance or not of repentance. God calls us to live a life of repentance before Him as we prepare our hearts on Advent. On this first Sunday of preparation for the celebration of His first coming, God demands that all of us make a choice. We must choose to either repent and walk in His ways or choose to rebel and stumble over His commandments. Hosea's marriage was bittersweet because it demonstrated God's relationship with His people. They rationalized their false religion. They defended their national policies as necessary to this survival. All the while, they moved closer to extinction. The key to survival and eventual exaltation as a people was simple yet profound. They had only to acknowledge their wrongdoing. If their hearts were broken, their relationship with God would be mended. Beloved, God will not let us go. His unbroken love from His unbroken heart will reach us in our sin. He will topple our false gods. He will topple our pride. He will topple anything that stands between us and Him and woo us us with His love. But the one thing God will never do in your life is give up on you. God will never give up on you. And when our hearts are pressed to His, He will recall us to love others who desperately need the grace that we take for granted. And that, beloved, is what it means when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Because we are singing about a love that will not let go.